good to be with you again tonight. It's good to see each of you and to be able to come to the gospel table once again and study the good things that God has for us as his people. I was especially encouraged tonight to see Brother Bobby and to uh, know the life of ministry that he's lived and served through the many years and uh, trust we can follow at least in part that example. There's another example I want to talk to you about uh, over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, I want to look with you at the Thessalonian model of the New Testament church. I believe it's important for us to go back to the basics of what identifies the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ because there is a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in a synchristic uh, culture where anything goes, everything's right, uh, your truth is good, my truth is good, and if they're contradictory, it doesn't matter. They're both true at the same time. And uh, breaking all the laws of contradiction uh, that we use in our apologetic studies. But really, I, I think we need to fall in love again with the original plan and purpose that Christ had for the establishing the church. And I think if we can do that, we'll maintain that posture. We'll maintain that identity as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our studies of the book of Acts, one of the most moving times in that study is when Paul goes to a place called Thessalonica. Today, it's called uh, Salinki. And it's still in existence. A lot of the ancient ruins of, of the city that a actually Paul would visit are still there today. We could actually go and visit them. Uh, but that's not what brings value to that geographic location. And it's, it, it's not the buildings. It's, it's, it's not uh, that uh, uh, sentimental uh, uh, value that we associate with the church at Thessalonica. It was a, a place in God's providence, just like Faulkner, Mississippi, where the God of heaven planted a church that would reflect several of the original characteristics that belong to primitive Christianity. My first point that I want to make before we go to the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, I want you to turn your Bible back to Acts chapter 17. We could read verses 1 through 15, but for time's sake tonight, we're just going to borrow the first four verses from Acts chapter 17. Here, God is leading his minister, Paul and Silas and Timothy, to go to this place. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, now these are Grecian cities, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. I want you to underline that in your Bible. My first point in talking about the Thessalonian model is that the church at Thessalonica was a scriptural church. They reasoned out of the scriptures 
opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, not another one, this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Now watch this, verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. Here we find in the ministry of the Apostle Paul he was opening, he was making plain, he was expositing the scripture. He was not... uh, He was not inserting his personal bias into the scripture. He wasn't wasn't, uh, trying to make the scriptures parallel uh, preconception in his own mind of what truth was. He was using the scripture as the basis for truth. I want you to underline that. He was opening. He was making it plain. He was alleging which means to set forth alongside of another. He was drawing the people who had been born of the Spirit of God to a place where they could understand and embrace truth. And it's gospel truth. It's good news. What's good news? That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. How did He save them? He saved them upon the cross. After the cross experience of Christ he was buried in a tomb for three days and nights and then he rose again and when he rose again that is the basis of our salvation Jesus Christ is the basis of salvation not Confucius not Mohammed not any other person or personality or prophet but Jesus Christ alone In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he makes it clear. Peter made it very clear. There is none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. See, we cannot compromise that truth. We can't. I realize uh, in this culture, it's easy for us to compromise various points of doctrinal truth. We cannot do that and maintain the identity uh, of the New Testament church. We can't. So the first point I want to make tonight is that the church at Thessalonica was a scriptural church based on the scriptures themselves. Now let's go to our study in 1 Thessalonians. If we were to take the time tonight to develop Acts chapter 17 and 18, this is what we would find. After a brief period of time, Paul and Silas had to leave Thessalonica because of the opposition of Orthodox Jews. They they didn't like what he was preaching. And by the way, the world today still doesn't like what we're preaching. But that didn't stop Paul and Silas. But they did leave at at the urging of the brethren that had been converted to Christ and established the early church in Thessalonica They left and went to Berea. And then we read where they left Berea and uh, would go to Athens. Uh, In fact, the Apostle Paul went by himself to Athens. And then after the Athens experience, Paul would go to Corinth. Now, this is what I want to tie in 
the study tonight with. Corinth was the capital of uh, what, what, what is ancient Archaea, southern Greece. Thessalonica was an important commercial city of Macedonia. In fact, historically, there was a, 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 a man named Cassander who was a general of uh, Alexander the Great. And when Alexander the Great died, Cassander changed the name of the community of uh, Thessalonica, uh, and he called it, uh, well, he, he called it uh, Thessalonica after the sister of Alexander the Great. Now, this, this interesting, 300 years before Christ came. So here is a culture that is solid Greek. <laughs> they are Greek. They're Gentiles, just like you and me. But in God's providence, God brought Jew, a Jewish community to this very city. And in this Jewish community, they would have the Old Testament scriptures. So the Apostle Paul, as his custom was, would go to a people that had scripture and then expound to them how Christ fulfilled those scriptures. The Orthodox Jews didn't like it. They kicked Paul out of town. He went to Berea, then Athens. Then he goes to Corinth, which is in the northern part, uh, no, the southern part of uh, uh, ancient Greece. Thessalonica was in the northern part of Macedonia, and, and uh, uh, Corinth was the southern part. So the Apostle Paul is there laboring in Corinth. Remember the Bible says uh, that he labored there for 18 months. During that period of time, Timothy and Silas come and meet him in Corinth. And they've got a message for him. The young church at Thessalonica has some issues. Because the same people that persecuted the Apostle Paul are persecuting them. There's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of situations there. And the Apostle Paul sat down in 50 A.D. And he writes this first epistle. Now that's the historical context. So the Apostle Paul is going to write to this young church that is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And this is what he says. We're going to go through these ten verses together. Remember my first point is it's a scriptural church. Paul and Silvanus. Silvanus is just another name for Silas. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to underline the word church. Church. Ecclesia. The called out assembly. The church is not a building. The church is not a denominational identity. The church is a living organism made alive by the Spirit of God Himself. It is a spiritual uh, entity. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 
beginning with verse 1, we read where the Holy Spirit descended upon the assembled church and began to um, uh, gift uh, individuals within that church body. And the wind of the Holy Spirit blew into the sails of the ship of Zion. And it's still sailing today. Hallelujah. And it's going to be here in this world when Jesus Christ comes a second time. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The church that is at Thessalonica is resting upon, based upon the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he accomplished. He did not come to, to uh, try or make a good attempt to fulfill the work of the Father. He came to fulfill it. My meat is to do the will of my Father which has sent me and to finish his work, John 4, thir- uh, John four thirty four. The church of Jesus Christ is founded upon the Father and the Son. Grace from the Father, peace through the Son. In verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. The Apostle Paul uh, had a heart for these people. Uh, if, if you never, uh, you know, you can sit here tonight and you can say, well, I love the church. But if you never pray for the church, you don't love the church. You know, we can say, I, I love my country. But if we, don't, if we don't pray for our country, we don't love our country. You can, you can say, I love my husband. I love my wife. I love my children. But if you don't pray for them, you don't love them. Not the way you're supposed to. The Apostle Paul loved the church at Thessalonica because he saw in them a desire and a hunger and a thirst for the Scripture, for the truth of God. So he's praying for them. He says, We give thanks to God always for you, brethren, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. There are three things that are characteristic Uh, of the scriptural church in Thessalonica. And this is my second point. It was a spiritual church. It was a spiritual church. You know the biggest mistake churches make, assemblies make, they try to build the church around a given personality. One person. But that's a huge mistake, friends. The Apostle Paul did not want the church at Thessalonica to build around his personality or his giftedness. He was wanting, he was directing them to the giver of every good and perfect gift, God himself. And he says, I'm going to remember three things about you. I'm going to remember your work of faith. I'm going to remember your labor of love. I'm going to remember your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. I believe what he's talking about here is spiritual fruit that was growing in the lives of those believers. I believe that's what the Spirit is doing in our own lives. We're supposed to be growing in grace and knowledge of the truth. Not growing into it, but growing in it. As being recipients of the grace and peace of God, we are to grow in that. How is that going to happen? I believe it's through these three. We, we call the, in fact, uh, 
uh, one old Puritan uh, said that this was a trinity of graces. Trinity of graces, work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. The work of faith. Now that seems like a misnomer. You know, a lot of Paul's teaching is, is teaching us that, that justification before God is by faith and not works. And all of a sudden, he brings up this work. And, uh, and this work comes to the forefront. Now, is he saying that we are to be working for faith? Is he saying that salvation is by faith in Christ and our work for him? No, he's not saying that at all. But what he is reinforcing is the truth of what James said in James chapter 2, verse 26, when he says, faith without works is dead, being alone. Now, I'm going to use a, a, an expression here that you'll find in the London Confession of Faith several times. And that is the chapter on saving faith. Do you have a problem with that? Do you have a problem with that expression, saving faith? What our forebears were doing was distinguishing between um, a faith that uh, reflects genuine salvation and a faith that is superfluous, a, a, a fake, false, uh, pretentious, not true faith. The Apostle Paul identified spiritual fruit in the lives of these people in Thessalonica. He says, and I'm remembering, I'm remembering that you've got the kind of faith that does work. You've got the kind of faith that wants to work for the furtherance of the kingdom. You've got the kind of faith that wants to serve. You've got the kind of faith that wants to worship. You, you've got the kind of faith that wants to fellowship uh, fellow believers. You, you've got that kind of faith. That's a genuine faith. That's a, a faith that reflects the saving work of grace in the heart of the believer. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works. The good works are not what give us faith. It's not what gives us salvation. But the good works reflect that that faith is genuine. It's real. And it's something that will bring glory to God. Hallelujah. But not only a work of faith. Also, there's evidence in your life that you have a labor of true love, Christian love. Isn't that what Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, when he said, Let us provoke one another to love and good works. And forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. See, that's what I believe we gain through the gathering together. Uh, we gain a strength. We gain a, an encouragement. We're strengthened by one another. I realize we're living in a day where a lot of folks are just watching church services on TV or on their computer or online, and I'm glad that they can do that. I, I'm glad that that's there. But brothers and sisters, that will never take the place of fellowship in the house of God. It'll never do it. We need to be laboring 
in love. This is a spiritual church. We need to be laboring in that kind of Christian love, that agape love, that serving, sacrificial love. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, I look at Thessalonica and I see it. I see you working in faith. I see you laboring in love. And not only that, I see you having patience of hope. That word patience there is hupomene, which means perseverance. I know that term has fallen on hard times in our generation. But oh, what a glorious truth it is when we recognize that perseverance is not us holding God's hand, but God holding our hand. God holding us in the trace. Persevering in hope. Perseverance under the trials that relate to our perspective of future blessings, which is the coming of Christ. One of the reasons we love this little epistle is because every one of the five chapters end in a reference to the second coming of Christ. Isn't that interesting? They had that perspective, that patience of hope. What a, what a wonderful fruit. What a wonderful evidence of, of the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Third point comes in verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. They were a special church. They were a special church. They were um, a church made up of the elect of God the chosen of God, through divine election. That's what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. He, if you wanted to just turn the page, it's just the next page over if, if you wanted. But we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you. Chosen you. That's election. Chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ. You, you see, brothers and sisters, this is a fascinating uh, study. It's a, it's a fascinating reality. Election, the very doctrine that many men, many people despise, the very doctrine that is intended to comfort God's people, and strengthen God's people is despised and rejected even in our day. But the Apostle Paul says, you know what? I know your election of God. I, I'm confident uh, that you are the elect of God. Not only because you are a scriptural church, but also because you're a spiritual church. And I, I, I know this. And, and I'm rejoicing in the fact that God's saving grace was bestowed upon you. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus according as he has chosen us. You see it? Election. Chosen us in Christ. When? When we chose him? No. Before the foundation of the world. Why would he do such a thing? That, so that, we would stand holy and without blame before him in love. Oh, what a wonderful doctrine. What a wonderful truth. And the church at Thessalonica was resting in that. I know, he says, your election of God. Beloved, why? Verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in the power and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Here's the good news gospel. 
Here's the gospel, the true gospel. There is a true gospel that is based upon the revealed word of God. And I'm telling you that it's not a lecture. It's not just a a basic teaching. I'm telling you that there is a spiritual component to the gospel that cannot be fabricated. It can't be faked. There's something that goes on in the heart of God's people when they hear the true gospel. They rejoice in it, brethren. They love it. They, they, they may not understand all of the parts of it, but they rejoice in what they do understand. And Paul said, I saw that in you. I saw that in you. You're a special church. We could go to many verses, couldn't we? Colossians 3.12. We could go to Titus chapter 1, verse 1. We could go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. We could go to many places to defend the doctrine of election. And when I say election, I'm talking about personal election. I was in a religious discussion one time with a group of ministers I won't mention. And uh, they, they didn't believe in, they believed in a national election. They said, oh, the Bible does teach election, but it's always a nation. It's never a person. Oh, what are you going to do with the Psalm 65, verse 4? You, you see, uh, the, the psalmist David rejoiced in the electing grace of God, didn't he? He rejoiced in the fact that God would choose him and allow him to dwell in his courts personally, personally, individually. Oh, the church at Thessalonica was a special church through divine election. Fourth point, they were a sanctified church. And I believe that this is through discipleship as being followers of Christ. Listen to what he says about them in verse 6. He says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Oh, there's a cost involved in being a Christian. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more opposition you're going to face by the devil and by the world. There's a cost. He said, but you were willing to pay that price. You, you, you esteemed the riches of Christ as greater than all of the accolades of this world. Hallelujah. You are a sanctified church. You're separated. Uh, that, that's what it means. Now, it doesn't mean to be freakish. It, 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 it doesn't mean to uh, intentionally be uh, uh, different in the sense uh, uh, an oddball. I, I believe that we can be effective Christians being normal, everyday people, whether that's a school teacher or a nurse, whether that's a carpenter or an engineer, whether, whether that's a housewife or a college student or somebody that just... Makes preachers behave themselves, Brother Duncan. Wherever you are, you need to be who you are. You need to be yourself. And you need to use that to share your witness with those in your sphere of influence. All right? That's what he's talking about, a sanctified, a separated uh, church, as it were, through discipleship. And brothers and sisters, there's just, in my poor mind this, more, this evening, I think that's one of the biggest downfallings of our people. We haven't emphasized discipleship as much as we should. We shouldn't. We, we, we haven't. 
And because of that, I, I think we've lost uh, a, a lot of our young people um, because they're searching for that. And they haven't found it among us. And I speak that to our own shame. And we need to correct that. We need to be a sanctified church, a discipling church, a following a Christ church. And we'll experience the joy of the Holy Ghost. If I had time, I'd like to speak about 10 minutes on that, just, just the joy, <laughs> the joy of the Holy Ghost. What a, what a great joy we have in Christ. Even when things around us are falling apart, we have joy in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, and you were in samples, you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. See, Macedonia, remember, that's why I gave you that context. Uh, the, when, when Rome conquered Greece, they divided it into two parts. And the northern part was Macedonia and the southern part was Achaia. Now, this was a huge commercial center. This, there, was, there, there were a lot of people in these two groups. And he says, you know, you're an example to them. And he says in verse 8, he says, for you, uh, for from, are you with me in verse 8? For from you sounded out. Wait a minute, what, what are we talking about here? Sounded out. I underlined that in my, well, actually, I put a box around that in mine. You know what he's talking about there? Evangelism. The word sounded out there is actually a Greek word that means to trumpet, uh, to reverberate. In other words, when you received the truth, you didn't hide it. When you received the truth, you didn't put it in a, a closet somewhere. When you received the truth, you reverberated. You took what you learned and gave it to someone else. For from you sounded out. They were a sounding out church. To keep the S's there. A sounding out church. An evangelistic body dedicated to the propagation of the true gospel of the Son of God. They sounded it out. Like a trumpet to their generation. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place in the Roman world. Every place. Your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. You know what that means? When the Apostle Paul went over to Athens, he says, you know, those folks over in uh, Thessalonica, boy, they're on fire. Oh, we've heard about it. And when he went over to Corinth, he said, you know, that, that little church over there in Thessalonica, boy, they're doing wonderful. Life. Oh, we've heard about it. What a great example they were, Paul says, so that we, we don't need to speak anything. Verse 9, for they themselves know. Now we're going to tie it together. Not only were they a scriptural church, a spiritual church, a special church, a sanctified church, a sounding out church. But they're a second coming church. Listen to this. And they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you. I want you to see something. And how you turn to God from idols. Stop right there. How you turn to God 
from idols. I believe this is the work of faith. Remember, he's talking about spiritual attributes. Here's the work of faith. The work of faith turns us from idolatry. This, this in another word, is repentance. When we're penitent, when we're sorrowful over our sins, when we turn from our sins to serve the living God, that, brothers and sisters, is the work of faith. And not only that, uh, ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. To me, this is the labor of love. Love is what brings us to serve God and others, as it were. See, that's the key component of the Christian faith. You know, Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, he didn't say, uh, by, uh, by this shall all men know uh, it, uh, that you pass from death unto life if you uh, agree on everything your brother does. Whoa. You agree with everything your sister does or says. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. You love them through Christ. You know the best marriage you'll ever see in your life is when a husband and wife can love each other through Christ. That's why I believe marriage takes three. It, see, marriage takes two. No, marriage takes three. We have to love each other through Christ. You know why? Because that's how we forgive each other. What happens when two sinners marry? Brother, there's going to be trouble in the flesh. There's going to be trouble because we're sinners. But all oh, when Christ is at the center, we're able to love each other through Him. That's what we're. That's the dynamic that was going on in Thessalonica, and that's what we need to see in our church and in our homes and in our marriages. He says, "Listen, you." <laughs> You gave plenty of evidence here. You, uh, the work of faith, which turns us from idols to serve the living God in repentance. The labor of love brings us to serve God and others as Christ has taught us to do. And then verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. This is the patience of hope. Enduring trials through the expectation of the reality of Christ's second coming. This is living in the light of Christ's literal and imminent return. This is living it every morning when you get out of bed saying, Lord, is it today? Are you coming today or tonight? When you pray with your wife uh, before you go to bed, is it tonight you're coming back again for your bride? Oh, what a, what a, what a wonderful way to live life. He says, I... I'm rejoicing over you because you're waiting for the sun from heaven. It's a second coming church. Jesus said he was coming again, didn't he? In John chapter 14, verse 3, he said, If I go away, I will return and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said it, didn't he? In Acts chapter 1, when the angels were talking to the disciples, they said, What are you doing standing here gazing? Why, why, why aren't you busy? Why aren't you up and about? You're standing here gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus which you have seen ascend into heaven shall in like manner return. We live in that promise. 
And the church of Thessalonica was right there with us. Now, he says something that you better underscore and you better be thankful for every day. Not only the second coming of Christ, but watch, it, watch what he says. Uh, you, you're waiting for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, now watch this, which delivered us from the wrath that is to come. Brothers and sisters, if you can't rejoice over anything I've said tonight, rejoice over this, believer. You and I have been saved from the wrath of God against the ungodly, against the unbeliever, uh, against the devil worshipers, against those that know not the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to rejoice with me if you're one among that number. So when we talk about the Thessalonian model, we're talking about something that can be applied to us today if we desire it, if we seek after it. We want to be a scriptural church, a spiritual church, a special church, a sanctified church, a sounding out church, and above all, a second coming church. Thank you for your good attention. God bless you. Brother Nathan said I couldn't get that chapter going. <laughs>